This morning, I want to look at the parable of the prodigal. In Luke chapter 15, there were some things that uh, were standing out to me this week. And part of it is we have been in isolation long enough that it's, it's caused us to look for things to fill the gaps. And uh, in some ways, <laughs> that, that ends up being good and bad, right? We're forced to look at some things that maybe we haven't looked at for a long time and open some doors that maybe have been shut in our lives. But also there comes a urge in some ways to fill our time with stuff. And uh, for me, this last week, I think I watched four or five movies, which if you know me, I'm not really a movie person. And about halfway into it, I'm beginning to ask myself, well, why am I watching this movie? And why am I watching movies to start with? But why am I watching this one? And what am I going after in, in regard to this? And, you know, it forced me to go back and say, okay, what's the draw in this thing? And out of that was kind of the thing of, are there some doors in my life that I haven't fully dealt with? You know, and walking into that, it was good to, to just say, you know, there are each of us, I think, has areas where we, um, we kind of shut shut a door on stuff where maybe we haven't fully dealt with it, and we get used to, in, in sense, discipline, just walking past and not opening it, and yet the fullness of God by His Spirit is available to open every facet of life to explore that and bring it into health, and. If we're willing, we can, during a time like this, allow God to, to get our attention in some areas where maybe he hasn't had it for a while. Or maybe we've just found it easier to block that area of life than to face it head on. And so, in some ways, at this stage of isolation, we either step into those things and deal with them, or we start seeking out diversions. And those diversions, in some ways, at times can be healthy, but they can also be very destructive. And it's just another form of escapism from the things that really need to be looked at. And so I guess what, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into this story of the prodigal because I think it connects. But at the same time, I know that where I'm going with this is more in the light of let's make the most of this time and let's not look for more diversions, but let's let's be careful about what we add in so that it really has value and, and it really fits within the kingdom of God. So as we walk through the story, um, the chapter starts out when Luke assembles this. Uh, Jesus is dealing with two different types of people. It says he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And then he's got the Pharisees chirping at him as well. So he's got, the, uh, he's got both ends of the spectrum. He's got people who aren't religious, and then he's got the ultra-religious. And he starts telling stories that say 
Heaven really rejoices when something that's been lost is found. And so the first is of the sheep and, and one being lost, the 99 are, are still there. And yet the shepherd goes out, finds the lost, and then rejoices. And Jesus makes the point, he says, heaven rejoices over a sinner who repents. And then the second story is of the woman who loses one of 10 coins and virtually tears the house apart looking for it until she finds it and then goes to the neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I found this lost coin. And again, Jesus likens it to heaven and says, the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. And so there's great joy. This is the appropriate response when somebody comes back to the Lord. Then he, he gets into the story. And he says, a man has two sons, and the younger says, Father, give me a share of the estate that will belong to me. And so it really wasn't his to claim yet. It wasn't appropriate to ask for it at this point. But the father divides it up and gives it to the boys. And then within a few days, it says this, the younger one moves out. And uh, he goes to NMU, or the distant country anyway. And he says he squandered his wealth with the wild lifestyle. He starts living the dream, you know, as, as is used in our day. And everybody's saying, just living the dream. Well, he, he has wanted something different than what was in the household. He's wanted something different that was at his home. Wanting to claim things as his own. But it just says he doesn't do a good job of, of spending those talents, so to speak. And it says, after he'd spent everything, famine took over. And it's as if he had a plan, it's working until something unforeseen takes place. And then it says he begins to be in need. And it went so far that uh, he, he goes and looks for work. So he's, he's doing his best to make do in a bad situation. But it says eventually he goes out and feeds the pigs. So it's like the lowest of jobs. And it says no one gave him anything. They're in famine. They're looking after themselves. His friendships are short term. But he's just in a situation that he's longing to eat even what the pigs have. But he can't, eat, he can't digest it. So he's just in a very bad situation. And this is my favorite. Uh, phrase of the whole thing. It says he came to his senses. And I guess my prayer in my life, my prayer for your life, my prayer for others is that we would come to our senses. When things aren't working or when things are distorted or when we're chasing things that are foolish, that there would be a coming to the senses of just saying, this isn't working. This is not going well. Because it's not enough to be in need. It's not enough to live foolishly. It's not enough to squander everything around us. But there's got to be a coming to the senses for any kind of change to take place. And, uh, you know, we can look at others and say, man, if they just get a clue. It's harder to look at our own lives and say, if we just get a clue. <laughs> because... We do everything we can to avoid looking at the issues or, in a sense, opening the door 
to something that needs to be opened. And yet, in this situation, finally this, this young man comes to a point where he's going, in my father's house, even the hired workers have food, and yet I'm dying. And so he's going, it'd be better to be a servant than to be here. And in some ways, there's that question of, would I rather listen to the commands of God? Would I rather do things God's way than even doing my own thing my own way? And that's the bottom line in this particular passage. And this idea is, am I willing to embrace even what God says if I don't feel like it or I don't want it? knowing that it's better than what I have. And uh, so he's, he's saying, he comes to his senses that I'm dying here. It'd be better to be a servant. So he, he figures out, I'll get up and go. You know, I, he rehearses a speech for his father because he knows he needs to make reconciliation. He, he's humbled. And so he's he's willing to make a declaration that says, I've sinned. I've done wrong. This isn't appropriate. And then he takes it a step further and says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. So he is he is wanting to go back. He's writing this speech, so to speak, or rehearsing it in his mind. And he's making a declaration that says, um, I'm not worthy of, of the place that was mine, but I'm, I still want to be a part of your household, even if you would treat me like a hired worker. Now, the beauty is he gets up to, to go back, and his father apparently sees him from a long way off. Doesn't say if he was watching or not, but that's the impression you get. And uh, it says his heart goes out to him. So the, the father's response is he still cherishes this kid. And then I was watching a, a video by Tim Keller, who was uh, speaking on this particular parable. And he says, uh, the father running is not what would have been culturally appropriate in that day. That men, in a sense of dignity, this just wasn't the right thing to do. That normally you wouldn't see a man running in public. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of like in our day, you know, somebody who's used to doing business in a suit and suddenly doing it in pajamas. Uh, it, it's just, well, that's not a good illustration for right now, is it? But it, it's the kind of thing that normally that just doesn't happen. And so for this father to lose his dignity, it, it shows how much in the story his compassion is for the son. It says he ran, he hugged him and kissed him. No social distance there. So anyway. The son goes through his I was wrong speech. Uh, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
And the father, he's not looking for that as much as he's looking for the restoration. And so he says to the slaves, hurry, bring the best robe, the ring, and the sandals. All of those are signs of family and signs of honor. And so the robe, you know, we we went through Genesis and the men's Bible study. And remember um, Joseph getting the robe and the, the sign of its importance and, and um, blessing from the father. And, and in this story, the best robe represents the best of the household. And the father saying, put it on him. You know, he's mine. And put the ring on him and, and put sandals. Uh, this is a sandals generally were by held by the family. It's it, in some countries, even yet, it's a thing of wealth. Like if you go to Malawi, you'll see many barefoot people and you'll see some in shoes. And so sandals were again. Uh, uh, a sign of acceptance and a sign of family. And then he says, kill the fattened calf. Let's eat and celebrate. And so the father's going, it's more important that I get to express my joy than to have this kid grovel. What an incredible thing. So the rest of the story is, again, the father dealing with a son who's uh, wanting things differently. And now this is the older son. So he he comes in from the field. It appears that he's been working. Um, and he hears the music and dancing. He goes, what is going on? And he asks one of the slaves, and the slave, your brother's returned. The father's killed the fattened calf because he got his son back safe and sound. And again, Keller made the point that it was uncommon to kill a calf. Um, a goat, a family might eat. But uh, even, I saw this in Mexico years ago, um, a family would kill a, a, a cow, but they wouldn't eat the whole thing. Meat was very precious, and so they would take a portion of it, then they'd sell the rest. So here to to kill the calf again, it's another declaration of how important this moment is that a son is reconciled. And uh, so the the son gets angry when he realizes how much has been done. And he doesn't want to participate in the household. So earlier. The younger son says, I don't want to be a part of the household. Now the older son is saying, I don't want to be a part of this. And yet the father comes out to draw him back in as well. And he appeals to him and he makes this declaration. And he says, look, you know, and the, the son is, you know, he, he, he states his complaint. And he goes, I've worked like a slave. So, again, he's not truly identified as the son. He's identified himself as, yeah, I'm serving dad. And he says, I've never disobeyed. And yet, you never even gave me a goat. You know, you, you didn't 
you didn't do what was normal even you or what families would do to celebrate and now you've killed a calf you know this this son devoured your assets and you killed the calf for him and in looking at this you realize that the older son probably is more concerned with the goods than he is with relationship. And so in some ways, there's a question that comes up in our hearts when we see others receive good things from the Lord. Is there a jealousy in our heart because others are receiving of the Father's assets? Or are we really dialed in and saying, the fact that I am part of the family and have a relationship is more important than anything else that could take place. The Father says, everything that belongs to me, in other words, it's still appropriately his, but he says it's yours as well. He says it's appropriate to celebrate and be glad. And so just in going through this, there's this awareness that at times we play the prodigal where we look at what's around us in the Lord and we go, I'd rather do something different. Or there are times when we play the older son who, yeah, I'm doing all the religious system. I'm doing the right things, but my heart really isn't in this. I want the blessings more than I want the relationship. And to look at that and say, we need to celebrate what heaven celebrates. We need to invest in the things that heaven invests in. We need to be willing to to embrace what the Father has in every facet. And so going back to this season, when, we're, when things are different and, and our routine has been changed and we're at that dangerous point of just filling in with new but different distractions, the opportunity is in this moment is to say, Am I truly embracing relationship with a father and everything that can be embraced? Or am I looking to keep certain doors closed rather than open them and allow him to speak to me in this time? Am I filling my life with things that are really meaningless or just religious rather than truly acknowledging his good work and saying, it's enough. And to acknowledge that relationship with him is enough more than the things. So again, let's rejoice in what heaven rejoices in. Let's celebrate when a heart is humbled, whether it be our own or someone else's, that there's a return to the Father. And let's desire God more than his abundance.